part two, my conversation with Jenny goes in a direction that I had not really anticipated, but was very happy to let organically unfold. Jenny begins by talking about the contemporary pagan practices and traditional Irish views about Samhain or Halloween, but from there we talk rather in-depth about the complex relationship between the dead and the good people, otherwise known as fairies, whether they like humans or not, and how the ideas about the good people are tied up in Irish culture that has had a difficult past, especially due to the influence of Catholicism, and how new narratives are emerging due to contemporary pagan efforts. Okay, so moving on to my uh, my next question. This is more coming back to to Halloween or Samhain uh, as a, a festival, a nature based uh, festival. Uh, could you talk more about how nature uh, cycles play a role? in the way people view death, or even a symbolic death. And you mentioned before about particular places that uh, briefly mentioned. Uh, So could you talk also about particular places that hold special significance? And then just to be I guess just to be clear for for the listeners, in this question, I'm I'm more asking if you could be talking about the pagan ideas about death and, and nature. In this in this context, contemporary pagan views on on death generally, you have the cycle of life. So death and decay are part of that. Mm-hmm. I suppose death positive is that right. <laughs> is that the right term? You know, it's um, not seen as something scary or separate mm-hmm. from us, and um, because for for many pagan practitioners, there there are Part of the practices would be to communicate with the dead, right. uh, as well as as remembering and commemorating ancestors. So sometimes there's a distinction between ancestors as the collective of people who have gone before us on the planet, you know, mm-hmm. the community of ancestors, um, or maybe you know, uh, depending on someone's lineage, their uh, the whole line right back to the distant past so celtic or whatever um it might be so that might be what ancestor means um but there's also at Samhain um the time to remember the dead so dead relatives um and friends and to um maybe you know for some pagans the there's a practice of um sending a message maybe by writing it on on a piece of paper and burning it so fire Fire is very significant at Samhain, um, and it's also one of the magical elements for pagan practices, at least the, the types that I research. So earth, air, fire and water are the elements, you know, that compose existence. So connecting with ancient philosophy, many many esoteric traditions have this these elements, and then the, the pentagram represents uh, those those elements plus ether or spirit, and each each element has a correspondence with the directions, so the compass points. Sometimes um, in Wicca, um, for example, there would be magical beings that are associated with each element, and part of the ritual. Most rituals have have a similar basic format where a circle is cast. So cast is a technical term. It's either marked out on the ground or visualized. And the sacred space or the magical circle is where the ritual is conducted. So it's it's both to do with raising energy so that it's encapsulated in this magical space um, before it's sent out for the particular purpose. Um, but also it's a, it's a safe space. So... There's also the, the, the circle as where the ritual is performed, but it keeps out any malevolent forces or spirits or yes, yeah, so I was talking about communication with the dead. So some of some of the rituals, um, particularly at, at Samhain, would be to um, communicate with the dead or um, maybe particular deities are invoked. So invocation, kind of slightly different 
different meanings. So some practitioners I've, I've spoken to, they don't like to say invocation because they see it as a as a demand or you know mm. calling up a deity. They invite the deity to be present, um, or or the, or the dead or fairies. In contemporary pagan culture, there is a connection with the meaning of the festival in ancient times. So uh, we know from, uh, well, it, it is speculation because we don't know exactly what the Celtic Celtic peoples would have, um, what their view would have been because we don't have any records, extant records uh, from them. Only a few things that were written about them and then the archaeological and, and literary references that we have. But um, it's thought that the, the Celtic people divided the year into a bright half and a dark half. So the, the dark half begins at Samhain and ends at Bealtaine or the 1st of May. So Bealtaine in, in Irish uh, traditional uh, celebration, you know, in the, in the vernacular folk religion, mm-hmm. it's um, the traditional start of summer, Bealtaine, and then Samhain is the traditional start of winter. And so for the ancient festival, Samhain would have been the start of the, it's thought, the start of the new yearly round. But as Professor Ronald Hutton has pointed out, there isn't enough evidence to to say uh, that Samhain would have been the new year for the Celtic peoples in the way that we understand the new year today. So sometimes pagans talk about it being the new year. This is more the, the beginning of a new yearly round. Mm. So you have the symbolic death of the old year um, and the start of a new cycle. So the some of the, the historical customs in Ireland reflect that idea because it's the time to uh, settle deaths, to, you know, to kind of use up what you have. So it seems to be coming to the end of something and starting anew. And so there is a connection with that, with that um, idea of a new cycle that we're beginning um, in contemporary pagan practices. And there's also the association with death that in, in Irish history, uh, not so much nowadays, but uh, Samhain would have been the time for farmers to decide which animals they were going to slaughter and which they were going to keep through the winter. So they'd have to have enough feed in store and um, and so on. So uh, you also have that association with, with death. And then you have the association with death of the, the returning dead. Uh, so in the contemporary pagan practices are, are always associated with the, the ancient festival, even though it's maybe not the same the same practice. So the, the ideas are coming from the what we know about the ancient festival, and there is a reference in the in the Irish mythology to the she opening up at Samhain. So this word she has three different but interrelated meanings. So it can mean the I'm going to say fairies uh, interchangeably. Um, so it can mean the fairies themselves fairy beings, she, uh, as a collective. Um, it can mean the the mounds on the landscape and it can mean the quality of life in the other world. So Shikon is peace and we still have this meaning today uh, in, in the language. So our police force in Ireland are called Angarda Shikona, so literally guardians of the peace. So the, the other world... Um, the fairy world is uh, described as being a very beautiful, bright place, a bright paradise where there's no sickness and no old age. So there's that, there's those associations. And I mentioned the mounds on the landscape. So we have uh, in the mythology, the reference is likely to places like Newgrange in, in, uh, in the Boyne Valley. There's Newgrange. And the Boyne River, associated with the goddess Boan. So Bo is is a cow, and so she's described as a cow goddess. And again, you, we have this this very strong association with the divine feminine, uh, with rivers. So almost every river has some association with a goddess. So um, the Shannon is Shannon, the goddess. Uh, 
Seanan is one of the Tuatha Dé Danann that I mentioned earlier. So Newgrange um, is a uh, it's a site that's aligned to the rays of the rising sun on the winter solstice. Um, but it's also like especially viewed from the air, these sites are mounds, so they're they're like inside a mound. Um, and similarly, the, the hill of Tara in County Meath is a series of mounds. So there are structures within the mounds, and these sites, like Tara, uh, Newgrange, and there's megalithic monuments, like stone circles, standing stones. These are they're associated with the Celtic times, and with you know we say Celtic mythology, but these are pre-Celtic, pre-Celtic sites. Nobody knows who built them. Um, they, it seems like they had some significance for Celtic peoples because you have all of these traditions which continued on. And uh, it's, it's problematic actually calling Irish, uh, Irish culture, Irish mythology Celtic because you have all of these references to pre-Celtic um, mythical peoples as well. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the she um, can also mean these mounds. So, there's just to briefly tell you in the Irish mythology, there's different groups of mythical mythical invaders. They're called um, and different peoples who rule Ireland. And uh, the final one, or the, the final group that come to Ireland, are known as the Milesians, or uh, the Neil Espana is their leader. Espana being Spain, they come from Spain, and um, they battle with the Tuatha Dé Danann. So the, the Tuatha Dé Danann, people of the goddess Anu, who become associated with the fairies. And the Milesians um, defeat the Tuatha Dé Danann uh, at the battle. Um, they have a, a battle of Mortora, um, uh, and they, they drive the Tuatha Dé Danann into the landscape. So there's this idea that the... The Tuatadanan's descendants are the fairies that live inside the earth in this tonic realm and under the ground, you know, this dark underground realm through caves, accessible through caves and uh, particular rocks and um, these mounds. So the people of the hollow hills uh, are what the the Tuatadanan become known as. Where I'm going with this is the, the... the mounds opening up at sound is a way of saying that the other world is coming out basically oh, yeah. into the human realm and that the dead and also other spirits, fairies, uh, are intermingling with, with human beings. And there, you know, there, there is a connection between fairies and the dead. So it may be that the she are ancestors, ancestor spirits. So nobody knows this. Uh, nobody knows, you know, uh, what uh, precisely these things mean because much information has been lost, and also because of the the compilation of the pagan mythology or religion by Christian scribes. So things were also changed and omitted, and um, so there's many kind of barriers to to understanding, and also the language. You know, Old Irish is a dead language, and uh, we have a very problematic history with the Irish language because it was literally beaten out of the people during colonization. And then, very, you know, people uh, sometimes is quite a strange relationship or attitude with, with Irish. So most Irish people, they're not native speakers. They might not understand much Irish. So there's a lot of, you know, different filters, but also different barriers to, to understanding yeah. the meaning you were asking about um, death, so that's that's where we get this association between Samhain and the the, the re- returning dead. You know that they they're coming from the other world at this time, um, and the there's historical traditions in in Ireland that uh, you know continued until the last generation or two um, in some regions, and it has regional variation as well. But there seems culturally there seems to be much more welcoming attitude to the dead you know it doesn't seem to have been a scary thing because people mm. would leave their doors unlatched and they would set a place in some parts of Ireland 
for for the dead, like or even leave out a meal overnight. Mm-hmm. And so it's thought that this is where the the custom of guising comes from. You know, dressing up as ghosts either to uh, disguise oneself or other spirits and things, um, disguise oneself from the dead, or maybe to welcome them or acknowledge. So nobody knows. Um, you know, nobody knows the exact reasons because these are traditions. You know, people do things because they're traditional um, and we often don't know why. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, but there, there is a connection with the dead being around uh, at this mm. time. So this comes into contemporary paganism then, but it's more the, the difference, I suppose, the main difference between the traditional celebration or acknowledgement of the dead would be that contemporary pagans deliberately or, you know, consciously try to talk to the dead or communicate with mm-hmm. the dead in a way that's not praying. You know, it's not a, uh, it's through ritual or right. yeah. um, that contact with the spirit, that deliberate contact. I would, I would add that the way sometimes I think there is more, and I just, this might just my opinion, more feeling that I have about, the, the folklore record um, that there's more emphasis on on maybe or more people have more interest in in things that are maybe scary uh, like changelings you know fairy mm-hmm. fairies being put in place of humans or um, things like that rather than you know there are many positive associations with the other world um, like healing and fairies are associated with very positive things as well just to make that point that it's uh, it's not that it's just contemporary pagans who would be having a more embracing attitude toward the spiritual realm. You know, we don't really know further back in time in Ireland how, how it would have been, you know. So I think the, the way that uh, folklore material has been collected has maybe skewed that a bit um, because obviously the, these things were collected in a, when the country is a Catholic a Catholic country and people have their understanding of of things and we, we, we will always interpret things according to our own worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose what I'm trying to say is that uh, we don't know how, how people further back in time in Ireland would have been, uh, what their attitude would have been toward the spiritual realm. I think a lot of the fear uh, and the, the idea of, you know, this dichotomy of black and white magic or uh, the black arts and like even black colored animals like the black cat mm-hmm. being the witch's familiar all of these ideas are much much later in time coming from the witch trials coming from you know catholic uh, or christian ideas generally mm-hmm. um this division between darkness and light so you know Tiernanog is uh, uh one of the names for the the the, the other world mm-hmm. um so tier is country and or land and og is young so it's translated of as land of eternal youth uh there are other other names for the other world as well like tier tornigara or land of promise but it's sometimes described as a bright paradise in this literature this early irish literature so we don't know if that was a you know the christian scribes who were writing it uh their in influence um about heaven mm-hmm. uh or not so we don't right. know if that was their but in Christianity, there's this dichotomy between darkness, so the darkness of hell, and the association with being hell being below us um, also influences the traditional understanding of the other world being in the landscape or below us mm-hmm. through caves, mm-hmm. through dark tunnels. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this becomes reinterpreted. And um, in Christianity, light and brightness is associated with heavenly forces. Jesus is the light of the world, halos, and, um, you know, that's a very different cosmology to to the, the ancient or indigenous um, religious ideas. And uh, so by the time contemporary pagans are reconnecting with things, there's been a lot of uh, changed meanings already. So, for right. example... You know, I mentioned the Morrigan, mm-hmm. and there's a, a place known as the Morrigan's Cave in uh, 
Rath Rath Crocken, um, Rath Crocken uh, or Crocon, um, uh, in uh, Roscommon, and there's a basically a hole in the ground. So, but it's the Mar- known as the Morrigan's Cave, and uh, you can go into it, and it's associated with sound. Um, but okay. another another name for the cave, it's known as Awinagat or Cave of the Cats, because it's mentioned in a mythological. A story about um, Brickrew's feast, where there's these giant cats come out of the cave, um, but it's also known as Hell's Mouth. And then there's another cave that's on Loch Derg Island, associated with St Patrick, and it's became known as St Patrick's Purgatory or the entranceway to Hell. Uh, so one is Hell's Mouth and one is Hell's Gate. So I might be mixing them up. The reason I'm mentioning this is the other world is associated with being in Irish tradition, under the ground or in in the landscape somehow mm-hmm. as being some connection with caves. Um, and, you know, that's then given a very different meaning as something evil or demonic or hell-like. Right, right. So, yeah, I think I've gone off in a tangent because um, well, I've forgotten what you asked. <laughs> it's not a problem. That's not a problem at all. It's, it, I think it's so complex. It's difficult to uh, explain it in just a very simple fashion because there's all these different threads that are interwoven into these notions, these either whether it be a folk belief or or a more spiritual belief but what i'm what i'm uh, what i hope i'm understanding uh, correctly and gleaning from what you're saying is that because we don't know for certain how ancient people viewed uh, the fairies or the dead because we don't know and because there is a possibility of Christian clerics reinterpreting things to fit their narrative, it does make everything a little bit convoluted, I guess you could say. Uh, so it's difficult to know that did everyone fear the fae uh, or the fairies in the past, and now it's changed to a more positive attitude towards towards fairies, which seems, you know, on the surface may seem to fit. But then when you come with all of these examples, you really start to re- realize, oh, wait a minute, this is much more complex than and intertwined. And then and it's very difficult to to separate all of those threads once they've been so tightly interwoven as in a tapestry or something like that, that there's this this complete picture because you you mentioned that in your uh in your article about ancestors, remembrance of the ancestors, that that the the ideas about fairies and the dead are intermingled in a way. People are, are associating the two as if it's the same place that they live or reside, I guess I should say. Uh, but that's not even clear. So yeah, it's just kind of this <laughs> kind of this yeah complex web, I guess, uh, and it depends on yeah your own personal perspective i suppose and how you were raised and and the the mythologies that that you've learned about growing up and and that is all influencing how you're viewing things uh but you did say that generally speaking the the pagan viewpoints now have shifted somewhat to be more positive towards uh towards fairies and towards uh, the the dead in this case, but I found that to be really a very interesting uh, discussion there because I didn't I didn't even no, most of the times I'm not thinking about anything you know in in such detail as, as you're describing it, but I didn't make this link that the dead might be underground with the fairies in the and that that would be a reason. When the when that mound opens at Samhain, when that when the the veil is thin, as they say, that you know this this traffic going back and forth is very easy. It didn't dawn on me that the that the dead could be that the dead go to this place as well. So I found that all to be very very interesting. And again, 
please read the articles because it gives you a, a really good explanation of what's going on here. So please don't apologize for going off on a tangent because it's so difficult to try to keep it such a little straight and narrow little path. So I, but thank you for explaining that because I think this just adds to the richness of all of this material. I think with the mainstream ideas about Halloween, it's, it's very uh, black and white, you know, it's all, it's all about scary things and, you know, and it's, yeah, there's no nuance there. So uh, I I really appreciate you explaining this in more in more detail, and then of course highlighting how difficult it is to really talk about it because it's so jumbled and mixed together with so many other different uh, cultures as well that are coming into the area uh, and also yeah. influencing <laughs> things. So so thank I you. I was thinking. I was thinking. You know. If you said to a child or anyone, really now that the dead are, the dead are going to come back tonight <laughs> into the house. I think for 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 most people that's like it's really creepy. Yeah, you know it's it's not it's not really the norm in our in our way of understanding. Right. And I think in a like to put it in a very basic way, you know, in Christian, this might be just the the difference. You know. That in Christian cosmology, you if you you die, hopefully you're going to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't come back. Right. You don't come back at a certain time of year. So this is a very different cosmology way of understanding exactly the world, and that could be the you know this is something that meshed together, but that people you know we don't know how people would have reconciled this in the past when, when they would have been, I'm talking about like when, you know, the folklore collections mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. where people were telling stories, for example, that there's a very common kind of ex- experience in, in some of the legends where somebody goes to a ring fort or fairy fort as they're, they're known. Um, and they either fall asleep or they somehow end up, they're brought there maybe um the stories of people being brought into the other world with the fairies Mm -hmm. and there's a dead relative in there who tells them not to eat the food because the fairy food Mm -hmm. is not food as as we know it and the person could be incorporated somehow into the the she Mm -hmm. by by eating this and um be trapped there so like we have these stories that have been passed down but the people who told the stories were not asked for like context or like, what do you think of this story? Or, you know, we don't know, did they like, how did they reconcile heaven and the other world? Or we don't really have that. And it's uh, still a huge jump, obviously from, you know, medieval times when the mythology was written down. And then in medieval times, that pagan world was already gone. So mm. there's so much that's missing. But a dead person in the other world, I mean, on the one hand, you have the the other world being described as this bright, beautiful paradise, wonderful place where people are partying and singing and dancing and where people don't get sick and they don't age. But then on the other hand, you've so many stories and fears of being taken there or being trapped there. So is it the mm. world of the dead? Is, is it because it's not your time to be there? So we, we don't know. No. Um, I do recall reading uh, stories about how the fairies don't like humans and they want to make our lives difficult, I guess you could say, in very <laughs> general terms. Uh, is that a... Is, is that an actual folk belief or is that just something that I've read in a book that's, that, that an author has just made up? I would say more that fairies, what the stories and when I say story, I mean legends that, mm-hmm. that have been passed down. I don't mean as in, I don't mean it in a dismissive way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also include like what we call belief narratives where mm-hmm. 
people have had an experience, you know, some of the stories have been passed on that have happened to people. And that's part of my research to collect to collect um, experiences. Right, um, right. But uh, a lot of what's coming out of those legends and encounters uh, is that there's vengeance or retribution at humans who interfere with so-called fairy places. So these mm. these ring forts or fairy forts that I, that I mentioned, mm. um, which are archaeological remains, um, that they're circular. Some of them are still mounds. Um, some have been flattened out and they can have two banks and ditches or three and they or, or they can be made of stone. So there's different kinds of ones and some date back to the early Christian period. Some are much older, um, late Bronze Age. Uh, so and th- these are part of the the the, um, the mounds as you know the people of the mounds. So they're associated with uh, being fairy habitations or entranceways to the other world. So there's many many legends and experiences that people have had at these places. Uh, and negative things happening when they're dug up. So these are, are now a protected monument, uh, but even before they were protected by the state, these were, you know, the, the most well-preserved because of these this association with the other world. Yeah. And there's also fairy trees or hawthorn. So the cutting down a hawthorn is um, also associated with something bad happening. Right. So someone getting sick or dying or you know having very bad luck so in in that way the fairies you know don't like human interference mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. with their places or you know there's stories that were collected by lady gregory for example you know one of the uh, irish literary revival writers who who was also a folklore collector she collected stories about um a boulder that fairy beings were living in and um, that had been into like moved or something was built on their path. The house was built on the path and a fairy person calls to the, the house and says, you know, that they were living in this boulder and it's, you know, um, the people in the house, someone had died or there was something in that story. Like the, the woman who lived in the house said, if only we had known that this, this boulder was, was your, your home. So yeah. What I'm saying, what I'm going to say now is, is very speculative because we, we, we also don't know this to be true. But it's if we can imagine in ancient times, if people had an animistic understanding of the world, um, that, you know, there's the, a boulder is not just a boulder. It, it's something else as well, mm. or it's, it's part of another world. Um, so we tend to separate things out now into two worlds. It's the human realm. And this is the other world. Yeah. So this is also part of our 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 understanding now that there's two two different. One is spiritual, one is not. Or mm-hmm. you know, but this might not have been an ancient understanding either. It could be interconnected in a way that we we are not understanding now. So some of those traditions are to do with like maybe an animistic. You know, there's some a rock is something else as well, or um, right. there's yeah. some, some connection that is not perceptible to our, at least not to our mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, to a, yeah, a modern uh, quote unquote product of the enlightenment using rational uh, logic, you, you're not going to be thinking that the rock or the boulder is something other than what you see it to perceive it to be. It's yeah. So, so yeah. what, what the, the lore she like is, is reflecting is more that these other world people, uh, sometimes a problem arises because the, the nexus point or the meeting place between their world and ours, what we are perceiving, uh, something is going wrong. So it's, and being caused by humans, so there's also a tradition that there's these fairy or ring forts and there are paths or routes between them um, that are routes that the fairies take, particularly at certain times of year. So those being interrupted by building on them 
uh, is also something that is a reason that's given for fairy aggression. So what I'm trying to say is that the legends and people's encounters, it seems to be that the kind of message that's being communicated through that is um, that the fairy, these other world people, that they're like human beings, really, in their behavior, that there's some reason that they are vengeful or they do something mm-hmm. to humans rather than being evil spirits, right, right, you know, in, right. in nature. So it seems to be that it's an otherworldly community that is sharing the same mm-hmm. landscape. Yeah. Probably is also. I'm, I'm just assuming this here. I'll, I'll just ask you. Maybe that would be better to ask instead of <laughs> assume. But is it generally accepted in Ireland that fairies are real? I mean, I've read other articles about the way people in Iceland believe about elves. That, that you know, the, it's just stated as a matter of fact that these things, that these these entities are real. And for someone coming from a different country, say, you know, Americans uh, that aren't indigenous who have their own culture and traditions, but other, you know, Europeans who had transplanted to to America, that this is, you know, this is just crazy talk. How can you think that this something like this is real? So I think depending on where you're living and where you're you're growing up. So I was just curious to know if it is if it's generally accepted that that fairies are real in 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 irish culture and society um that's a, it's a very complicated tricky um, question <laughs> so um you know because just simply because we can never say what what people believe or what they think is real mm. um but i think i've done some uh, small small scale ethnographic research in in Iceland um, as well Uh, and there are many parallels between the Huldu folk hidden people Mm -hmm. and the other crowd or the the fairies in in Ireland Um, and like as I mentioned living in in rocks and there's many elf rocks so this is a similar uh, tradition so I would say that it's it's very similar in Ireland in the culture generally you know it's there it's most Irish people, people in, in Ireland, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether you're, you're Irish or not, like if, if you've lived in Ireland, I think you would have come across this concept at least. So it's very much there uh, with the fairy trees and there's still hawthorn trees that are left alone. And, you know, people you have this word superstition or, mm-hmm. um, you know, and there are people who, who would leave it alone just in case just in case right. it might bring you bad luck right. so you know it might not be like an overt i believe in this but it, it's culturally it's still mm-hmm. there in the fabric of sure. of the way people live um and people tend to associate, associate these things with rural locations or you know particularly the west of ireland and that's to do with uh, largely to do with folklore collection and ideas about wow. Uh, what places were rich in folklore but I found that in urban locations people also are aware of these things I think the difference with Iceland um, because when I I was doing my research people were very open and willing to to speak about elves and holy folk and bring me to places associated with them and similarly in Newfoundland Canada you know the traditions are very similar to Ireland because it was Irish emigration there but also from different parts of Britain um, so there's a mixture of different fairy fairy lore there but in Newfoundland I found people 
really open as well and telling me about their experiences, their encounters with fairies and uh, and so on. In Ireland, you know, the same it's the same situation with the stories being there, but I find that people people tell me like even when I'm not doing research, like people have told me anecdotally about things before I started doing research. That's what you know um, inspired me to to begin documenting this because people were telling me about you know some neighbor that they did something on the ring fort. You know they moved something or they they didn't know. Um, then this is before this is a long time ago. So uh, now most people are aware that these are protected monuments. But uh, someone told me that uh, this is very vague. I know, but that a neighbour had had uh, dug up a part of the ring fort and somebody in their family had died. So you know this is there in yeah. It's like out there in the culture, whether people say they believe in it or not, because Ireland, uh, I, I, and this is just my opinion, you know, I don't really have, there's no way of, of really showing this, but my opinion is that with the different cultural processes here in Ireland, um, with colonization, you know, with many aspects of Irish culture uh, being denigrated, with the language being uh, efforts at least to 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 get rid of the language really um that disconnection people have with the the native language so uh, I mean native language not even just as your mother tongue but as the names in in the in the landscape like place names that are connected to the spiritual world names for spiritual beings uh, so this you know this is a, a disconnection mm. um, and also things that have happened in Irish history, like in 1895, in March 1895, there was a woman, Bridget Cleary, who was burned alive um, uh, in the accusation that she was a changeling, a fairy changeling. So, uh, you know, there's many different, many different things that have impacted on how Irish people view their own culture. So there's this weird kind of cultural shame mm. here to do with fairies, especially, you know, this um, also this Christianization and, and the different, uh, especially Roman Catholic, you know, very particular understanding of the spirit world um, as something you're not supposed to engage with or, you know, you can pray to saints or God. You can have devotions to the Virgin Mary, but anything else is understood as demonic or something very bad. So that's also, that causes a lot of conflict. Um, if people start to think, well, what, what are fairies? Um, mm. You know, so there's, it's, it's very complex. So what I'm trying to say, <laughs> it's there in Irish culture. And I think that many, um, this is, is real, you know, for many people, I would say, based on my research. But people are not so willing to openly talk about it. Like, that's something I've found a lot. You know, people will talk talk away to me um, about fairies. And uh, it's unlucky to say the word fairy, uh, but I'm, I've been okay so far. Oh, um, <laughs> I didn't know that either. Uh, what are you supposed yeah. to say? The other people. Oh, the other people. The, okay. Um, the like Nadine Uishla, the noble people, okay. um, the the good people, Nadine Maha, or the the wee folk, the little people, um, or just the other crowd. Yeah. So there's lots of right. coded ways of. of yeah. Um, I'm sorry, yeah. I I interrupted you. You were trying to finish your thought. I I'm sorry. <laughs> I just was curious, <laughs> but you were saying that people were were very. Um, uh, keen to talk to you about about their their experiences, and then I interrupted you. <laughs> so <laughs> when it when it comes to uh, recording it, um, especially on camera, people are a bit wary of that. Mm. And I think it's uh, well, there's different reasons. I mean, generally speaking, like not not everybody uh, in the the Irish media like is the same. But you know, some journalists are very respectful of of um, these traditions um, 
and I would say uh, most academics are, are very respectful. There are some who are not when it comes to intangible cultural heritage, like legends or mm-hmm. um, especially traditions to do with fairies. They um, they really uh, make fun of this yeah. or approach it always as a lighthearted thing that's kind of silly uh, and that really influences people in talking about it then, mm. you know. Um, so I, I always use the example of uh, apparitions of the Virgin Mary, um, you know, and how that was approached. We had uh, a case of moving statues in Ballinspittle in West Cork in, in the 1980s and, you know, I've never come across any media derision of that because it's it's Catholic. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we can't, uh, not, not that it's the role of academics to prove or disprove something, but, I mean, beliefs and traditions are, they're on a par. They're, there's no, nobody knows right. <laughs> the answers. Right. So, you know, um, Roman Catholic influence in Ireland, of course, has also influenced academic study. Um, because people are always informed by their own views um, and religion for many people is a deeply held, you know, it underlies everything that they understand. So, you know, that we also have to bear that in mind, um, even with folklore collection or archaeology or whatever. So it's, um, I think that's, all of those things are, are influencing how people, their, their attitude mm. toward fairy or otherworldly things. With regard to the this Christian uh, context of putting otherworldly or magical uh, entities or objects into this category of evil or damned, or do you feel that in your research with pagan different different differing pagan beliefs that this is starting to shift is there are there narratives coming forth that are trying to be more uh positive about uh, about these these notions of even witches or magic or or even just the the idea of I guess the the larger context to to bring it back to what we were talking about death and and the dead. You know, there are a lot of uh when I was thinking about, you know, different types of questions that I could ask you, I was thinking that the the Christian context has really influenced a, to a great deal about how westerners, I guess you could say, perhaps think about you know, how do we treat dead bodies? How do we deal with infections, blood, you know, all of these different things that are associated with death, uh, you know, disease, uh, but also with, you know, oh, if you if you get yourself caught up in, in these quote unquote occult practices, then you're going to, you know, be damned and you're going to go to hell. And, you know, all these narratives surrounding, you know, everything that's considered dark, uh, black, evil, you know, all these different adjectives that you could use. Are you finding now that that the pagans are wanting to try to shift that paradigm and trying to change things in a in a yeah more positive way? I guess positive maybe is not. Really, I don't know if that's the right word or not. But do you understand what I'm what I'm getting at? That they're yeah. trying to shift the narrative, the paradigm. Yeah, I think um, part of that is is self-identifying as a witch um, or a druid or, or you know, shaman or uh, in in the modern day when um, particularly the word witch has all of these negative cultural associations. I find that uh, in in Ireland there's um, connection with the traditional wise woman. Or banfasa, which means literally wise woman or knowledge, fist is knowledge. Um, so it's more the rituals and uh, practices would include for most practitioners things like healing and uh, rituals to mark different stages and different special times. So 
that's even even practicing that is is a is changing the narrative as you said yeah. it's it's changing what people understand by the word witch and um with i mentioned druids you know in ireland the word for magic is driot so it's literally druidry so i find that um in, in a general sense people usually know um if if they're not familiar with paganism they usually know what you mean by druid they have some idea of what druid means uh, or what a druid might do that it has something to do with nature and being uh, out in, in the forest and things like that. Yeah. Whereas the word witch, um, I found like when people ask about my research, if, they, if they're not familiar with paganism, um, they might react to the word witch. Uh, and then I have to explain that it's, it's not, you know, as, as it has taken on that meaning in many different uh, cultures, that it's the, the witch is the one who does is an evildoer or mm-hmm. does the the um hexing or then you go to someone someone else to lift that uh curse or whatever so the you know the witch figure has so many negative uh, cultural associations yeah. so many different contexts so like you have the biblical passage that's translated at least as do not thou shalt not suffer a witch to live yeah. um leviticus is it and you know, the kind of witch as, as a scapegoat for disease, like you mentioned, disease or crops failing, uh, all of those ideas or uh, witches sacrificing babies and, you know, harming people. And then you have all of the witch trial ideas that come out of yeah. that whole time period and um, it all mixes together. So, like, I think taking back the word witch um, or ta- you know, ta- not really taking it back, but taking it and transforming it yeah. into a, a different, different meaning as as like a religious um, self identification and, and as a practice. And I found, you know, there are other other kinds of witches uh, who who are not pagan. So um, right. it's important to mention that as yeah. well. But in paganism, I found that there there isn't this distinction between. You know, if you've heard white witches, this is more in what I would call new age. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's uh, the 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 good or bad magic is more the intent right. rather than a force. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I've heard it said uh, energy is energy. Yeah. It's not good or bad. It's just what it is. You use yeah, it's it like, for whatever purpose or intention. So yeah, I've yeah, that too. You, you can use electricity to light the house, <laughs> or you can electrocute someone right. until they die. You know, yeah, yeah. not right. the electricity. Well, it is the electricity that's yeah. doing it, but it, <laughs> yeah. it it doesn't have its own agency. Exactly. It's so, so yeah. the person is directing it. Yeah. That's right, right, right. Well, in closing, uh, I wanted to ask if there was anything that we haven't touched upon uh, that you think would be important to this conversation. I think it's it's important to highlight that nobody owns these ancient sites. On the landscape, I know technically they might be, you know, in in the care of the state or something. But I mean, nobody, nobody today can lay claim on those sites. Nobody owns traditions. It's something yeah. that has created, you know, it's been created from people generally. And I find there's a lot of uh, attempts by media and uh Sometimes by academics, not not so much, but sometimes you come across a very uh, dismissive attitude toward some new religious movements, including paganism. I would say especially paganism, uh, and also the academics who research paganism. You know, sometimes there's an effort to kind of uh, to be dismissive of the research, and um, like with ethnographic research and um, just anecdotally, you know, I've 
I've been asked so many times whether I'm pagan or what religion am I? And I find that interesting because my colleagues in study of religions, they're not asked if they're Christian when they research Christianity, you know, or, you know, if they're Muslim researching Islam, this is not a problem. It's expected. Uh, and that's, it's, uh, I find people are not asking out of interest. They don't even really want to know the answer. It's just a way of saying, well, the data is not really, mm. uh, you know, they're trying to categorize this in a, in a, a different way to anything else that someone might research. Uh, if that makes sense. Um, And uh, I also find a lot of resistance within academia uh, to ethnographic research um, on fairy lore in particular, like uh, when it's to do with experiences and things that are happening now, people's understandings of those experiences, because I like folklore as a discipline, because I used to be in a folklore department, um, and my PhD was in folklore and uh, ethnology. But the focus, generally, very generally speaking, in that discipline has been on story, storytelling traditions, stories as entertainment, um, and there's kind of a separation of, of people who study mythology through Celtic civilization, Celtic studies. They study the languages, the texts, uh, and then there's a different group of scholars who are folklorists and looking at uh, traditions in later time periods. Um, and when you try to connect the strands, so I'm aware that it's the traditions do not, you know, it's not possible to to kind of uh, take a tradition and, and connect it directly to ancient times. But these traditions came from somewhere. So there, there, there are strands of things and um, when you connect them in relation to fairy lore, uh, because that's one of the main things that I research, I found a lot of resistance to that within academia. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure of the if, if it's something to do with religion or something disciplinary, but it's kind of, I've just noticed it. Um, Curious. So. Uh, is this perhaps, do you feel perhaps that it's coming from this idea that fairies are put into the category of uh like stories that are fiction that it could not be a possibly potentially a a real uh thing or a real quote-unquote real experience that someone could have i think that's part of this you know describing these kinds of things as vernacular religion you know there's people maybe expect you to talk about popular Catholic traditions, but of course those popular Catholicism contains these so-called pagan elements. Right. So, you know, it's the fairy lore is part of part of that. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot less studies of of the fairy lore in, in that kind of context uh, when you compare it to something like Marian devotions, you know, the Virgin Mary... Uh, prayers and folk prayers even um there's a very different prevailing attitude um yeah i've i've always found that very interesting with with regard to my own research uh into other kin people have asked me well are you other kin no yeah uh but that why are you that's not important why are you even asking me this question it's to me i found not so much uh not so much from from my uh, professors. Luckily, they were all very, very open to the idea of looking into phenomena that, of course, this is all qualitative, and, and what you're doing is also qualitative, ethnographic, ethnographic participant-based, observational, that type of research where you're trying to really understand the experiences uh, of another person or other people. They're very, very open to that. But I do get sometimes people think, you know, as if it would like put it on the same level as as if I were studying uh, a comic book hero character as as being, quote unquote, real. Uh, But in this context, that could be the case. 
it could be real. So mm-hmm. uh, it's this, I guess it's, it is kind of a, a shift in perspective of what are people telling you? What are people telling you about their lives? What are people telling you about their identities? Their, you know, their, um, the things that they, that they can't explain in any other way. They can't say, well, I dreamt it or, uh, I hallucinated it or, you know, there's, of course, people like to put those types of, uh, explanations on top of it. But I think there is, a a, a lacking, uh, of space for this type of research in general. And perhaps that's what you're feeling as well, that they, yeah, in academia, that they're, they don't really want to give you that space to be able to ask these questions in the sense of we're doing legitimate research here. <laughs> we're not, this isn't just some, you know, a uh, fluff uh, piece that you're that you're working on. This is serious research. I don't know if if it, I don't know if this resonates with you or not. Uh, yes, um, I mean, you know, I often think of the interpretation as well in different cultural contexts, like uh, an apparition of the Virgin Mary. I know I keep going back to that no, example, but it's but it's, 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 a valid it's very. Like it's familiar, even if you're not Catholic, you're, it's a familiar idea that people have seen apparitions of the Virgin Mary. But if someone says they saw an apparition of the goddess Ishtar, people are like, you know, mm. you know the, the kind of um, psychiatric uh, labels as well of Definitely. being <laughs> schizophrenic or hearing yeah. voices, seeing yeah. visions. Yeah. You know, this is understood very differently to an apparition of the Virgin Mary. And that's a cultural thing. That's excellent um, point. That's part of the resistance. Even it, it might not be, it might not be specifically religious. Like, uh, but it's like the underlying general cultural assumptions that people mm-hmm. make, or the familiarity of something, I suppose. And I think part of what I research in, you know, new religious movements and. The occult, you know, people are afraid of the word mm-hmm. occult um, or uh, even like someone practicing magic. This is not usual for for people generally in the population. So I think a lot of it is cultural fears. Sure. And this is also why it's on the margins of of academia, because acad- like academic life, it's not separate from the world. You know, we're uh, academics of people, and right. we're 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 from a particular culture and time period. So, yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, I think that with the type of work that you're doing, the research that you're that you're doing, I think it's important, and I think that more and more people doing this type of research will. Uh, hopefully, in any case, it will hopefully start to create this space where it's it's seen as a legitimate. Uh, type of uh, type of research. I know there are differing attitudes about it, but uh, I think it's important. So well done to you for what you're doing. I think it's uh, great work that you're doing. And I just want to thank you for for sharing all of this with me today for taking time out of your day to talk to me about all of this uh, in the context of death and and different ways of looking at it. uh, And and not being so frightened of it, I guess. Uh, So thanks for that. You're welcome. And it's been very nice to uh, chat with you. My deepest thanks to Dr. Jenny Butler for sharing her knowledge with us all. As I stated in the interview, I really recommend reading her work, should you be interested in this topic, as Jenny offers so much more information in, uh, in that material. Check out the other reference material as well that Jenny mentioned in our discussion in the program notes. And of course, questions are always welcome. If you are enjoying the content I am providing, I'd greatly appreciate it if you would leave a positive review and rate the podcast and leave a like on YouTube if you listen there. It really helps the podcast get noticed. I have a new spotlight in the works, this time about Arthur Edward Waite and his notion of a secret tradition. 
That too will be uploaded to Simplecast in an audio version. I am still working on getting the other older spotlights uploaded and appreciate your continued patience. Okay, that's all from me this time. As always, thanks for listening.